Our scripture for today comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Thank you. Alrighty. So this uh, this whole sermon series that we've been doing here at Wayfarers, um, we've been focusing on the Sermon on the Mount specifically, and there's been a lot of really uh, difficult things that Jesus uh, has been teaching us. He has been um, really showing us how to how to live in ways that are maybe contrary to what we would initially think or what we would initially believe is the way that we should live things that are difficult, things that are hard for us to do. And so that's what we've been focusing a lot on, a lot of these different passages, a lot of these different scriptures, a lot of these different sayings of Jesus are focusing on a lot of those really difficult things that Jesus asks us to do. And so it's kind of funny. I want to reiterate what our uh, online outreach minister Jacob said at the beginning in the welcome. Um, some of you may have had to make a very difficult decision today. Decide, uh, you know, am I gonna am I gonna watch the Super Bowl, this this massive event that everybody is tuning into, or am I gonna tune into the church service? So for those of you that are watching live, thank you. I am so thankful that you have decided to tune in with us today. I want to welcome you to our Sunday night live stream. And I also want to echo what Jacob said. If you're one of the people who decided to watch the Super Bowl, you're watching this later, that's okay. We'll forgive you this time. We're still super thankful that you have decided to tune in. I am always so thankful uh, for everyone that's decided to, 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 to tune in uh, to the services that we've been doing and to just kind of worship together with us and learn from the scriptures together with us. Now, um, some of you may not be familiar. I don't know what your uh, upbringing was like. I don't know whether you grew up in the church or whether you uh, grew up outside of the church. I grew up in the church. My parents were missionaries and then pastors. And so I grew up uh, from from day one going to church uh, every single Sunday. My parents said from the time I was like a few weeks old, I was in a church service pretty much immediately. I've always been in church services. And there was this really interesting aspect of Christian culture in the 90s when I was growing up that um, uh, some of you may be familiar with. And it's something I was very familiar with growing up in the church. And I would venture, if any of you grew up in the church, you would also probably be very familiar with this aspect, which was that in the 90s, we had this, this, this trend of trying to come up with Christian alternatives to the uh, secular uh, music and movies and culture of the world. Um, lots of times we would try to come up with Christian movies that were similar to the secular movies that were, were very important. We would come up with uh, sort of Christian t-shirts that looked a lot like the logos of secular uh, culture, but they were just slightly different and a little bit more Christian. And there was this one particular poster that really summed it all up that I remember from my youth group room growing up. Uh, the room where our youth group used to play, we had a we had like video games and a pool table and all kinds of stuff set up in this room uh, it, it, at our church. And uh, on the wall, there was this particular poster that had just a set of comparisons between uh, secular bands and Christian bands, and it had all this funny stuff. And it was like, if you like some forty one, you should listen to Reliant K instead. If you like. Um, 
I don't know, like a, a Nirvana, it said, listen to Switchfoot instead. It had, uh, some, of, some, of the, some of the comparisons were very suspect, but it had like all of these alternatives to look at. Uh, my wife, Adrienne, was trying to find that poster because uh, she remembers it too. We both vividly remember it. It was something they sold at like the Lifeway bookstores. R.I.P. Lifeway, um, but they were uh, they were <laughs> everywhere, and apparently it's impossible to find a picture of it online. What we did find was a blog post from about that era where somebody was making some of those comparisons. You know, if you like Bruno Mars, it said you should listen to this artist instead. If you like Lady Gaga, listen to Lauren Daigle. It had just all these alternative Christian artists that you could listen to as opposed uh, to the secular artists, and it's really funny. I personally didn't see any issue with that. That's just kind of the way I was raised. But I remember having a conversation with my dad about that whole aspect of Christian culture uh, at one point in time. And my dad was really confused by it because he told me, he's like, I don't think we ever told you that you couldn't listen to secular music. He's like, I don't, I don't ever remember making that a rule in the house. And I was sitting there thinking, trying to rack my brain. I was like, you know what? I think you're right. I don't think he ever made that rule, but it was just such a major part of Christian subculture at the time that it didn't matter whether my dad had actually made that rule for me or not. I do have some friends that I know had that rule in their house. They could not listen to secular music. They could only listen to Christian music. My dad had never made that rule, but it was such a part of the culture that that was just uh, the only music I listened to for for years, for for years of my formative years of my teenage years, I uh, was only listening to these uh, Christian approved artists, and it was really interesting because when I when I did uh, finally you know leave that youth group bubble and started to kind of get in the world, going into college and then into my job later and stuff like that, I uh, would use that term a lot that I was just using here, that term uh, secular. Uh, for for things in the world versus, you know, Christian things. And I realized that that is a word that doesn't really exist outside of the Christian subculture. In the, like, the regular world out and about, I, when I was working at the coffee shop, when I was working at different places that I worked, people don't just really use the term secular <laughs> very often. Um, and so it's kind of hard to understand. The, the way Christians have always used it is is to mean things of the world, things that aren't Christian. But most literally, it's kind of just the opposite of the word sacred. And the word sacred is where you have the, the holy things, the, the spiritual things, the things of God. And in the, in the word secular is where you have the things opposite to that sacred, the things that are just normal, everyday, and worldly. And even though I grew up using that word, like I said, in the rest of the world, most people did not have that conception of sacred and secular. And it's really interesting, this conception, this, this, this splitting up between the things that are sacred, that are of God, and the things that are in the world, is something that has been really common to humanity for um, a really long time. Human beings have been uh, focused on trying to make these divisions. And in this passage that we're looking at today, I think we see Jesus pushing back against our desire to make those divisions between the sacred and the secular. And we see Jesus bringing those two things together in a very, very interesting way. So I want to read that verse for you one more time from Matthew. Remember, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and they remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. I think at the most basic level, the point that Jesus is trying to make in this passage is just that 
there is not really a division between the things that you do in the world and the things that you do for God. Let me explain what I mean by that a little bit. Jesus is using an example that was common to the Jews, which was to go into the temple and, and, and offer a gift at the altar. This is obviously a sacred thing for them, a spiritual thing, a, a, a very set-apart thing. They were going to set this gift at the altar. It was the sacred moment, this thing that they were doing. And Jesus is uh, helping them to understand that when you are going to, to, to give that gift, this, this sacred gift at the altar, if you're going up, you're going to give your gift. And in that moment, you, you remember that your brother has something against you. Your brother that, you know, not, not here in the temple with you, not, not a part of, of, of kind of the spiritual things going on. And you remember that that brother has something against you. What, what God wants you to do is he wants you to just drop your gift, leave it right there, go off, be reconciled again with your brother and then come back and finish giving that gift, finish that worship in that sacred moment. He wants you to go back into the secular world, fix a secular problem, and have it lead into a more full, sacred act of worship. You see, uh, for, the, for the Jews, I, I can imagine as they were listening to what Jesus is saying in this, in this story, they would have thought, well, what does that have to do with anything? What does what me giving a gift at the altar have anything to do with what my brother does or what my relationship to my brother is? They, they would have uh, maybe seen a division or a separation where we tend to as well. And the thing that I think I've just really started to notice is that what we do in the world, the things that we do in the world, they matter to God. They matter in a spiritual sense. They matter in a sense that is greater than just here in the world. And there's a lot of applications for it. One of the simplest ones is probably one that you're, you're going to be like, oh, of course, this is obvious uh, that, that, that Nick would bring this up. But I think one of, the, one of the greatest ways that we can see this is by, by helping those in need in the world. I can imagine you, a lot, a lot of you may be saying, oh, here's another millennial you know, social justice warrior snowflake trying to tell me that I need to help those in need. But, but I, I, I think this is really important, and I do think this is one of the, 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 the key applications that we can get out of this. The, the, the things, the help that we offer to the people in need in the world, whether or not there's any religious connotation to it, whether or not we are trying to convert them, whether or not we are trying to preach the gospel to them, but just the help that we offer to the needy is a holy and sacred thing. It's not separate. It's not worldly. It's not secular. And this was a uh, idea that was actually really, really hard for the early Jews as well. There's a passage at the very beginning of Isaiah. It's, it's a long passage. I want to read it to you where um, God is upset with the Israelites for some very uh, particular things. You see, the Israelites, they had, they had never stopped giving sacrifices in the temple. I think this is something we don't realize. But if you read the history of Israel, they were always out there giving sacrifices. They were always doing all of the, the holy, sacred things that needed to be done in the temple. But notice, God is upset at them, not because they have continued to do the holy things, but because they have foregone and quit doing some of the secular things. Listen to what God says to his people here. He says, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. 
Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing what is wrong. And listen to to, to what he calls them to do here. He says, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, it's kind of a long passage, but um, if, you, if you dig into it, you can see that they were continuing to do all, all the appointed Jewish festivals, the new moons, the Sabbaths. They, they, they were doing all of that. They were offering all of the sacrifices in the temple. They were burning the incense. They were, they were doing all of the appointed sacrifices. And God is just, he can't handle it anymore. He says that those, those sacrifices are, are, are detestable to him in a way. And ultimately, what he calls them to do, what he tells them to do, is learn to seek justice and to defend the oppressed, to seek to, to plead the case of, 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 the, of the orphan and of the widow and those who cannot stand up for themselves. This, this call to justice and this call to help the people who are most at need, that is ultimately what is most important to God. And you see, the Jews did something that we tend to do too, which is where we just become convinced that what God cares about is spiritual things, right? God cares about how much you pray. God cares about how much you go to church. God cares about um, whether you uh, tithe in church. God cares about those kind of spiritual things. But, but, but God doesn't care about, you know, what happens in, in, in the day-to-day lives, in the everyday lives of the world. And, and I think what we are seeing, what we see from Jesus even in this passage, is that that could not be further from the truth. God is so upset when we try to do these holy, sacred things, when we try to offer gifts at the altar without dealing with the injustice and, and, and the worldly things that exist in the world, that he would rather we just leave our gift right there, go and fix things, go and set things right with those who, who, who need to have things set right with them, and then come back and do the sacred, holy thing of worshiping him. And that is a a, a, a difficult uh, thing for us to understand sometimes because because we are really good at making that distinction. We we a lot of people will even have just kind of like one personality that they have in church their their sacred personality and then their secular personality. And I think what we see from these words of Jesus is that he is bringing those two things together. And I think they're really important for so many reasons. But one of the biggest reasons I think that that this is so important is that there needs to be a consistency to God's people. We need to be the same no matter where we are. I've personally felt the sting of this a lot here in the recent years, and you may have as well. 
as you have noticed, uh, there's just been a lot of stories, I feel like, a, a whole bunch of different stories in the news of these famous uh, pastors and, 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 and speakers who um, have had uh, all these allegations of, of whether it is uh, cheating or lying or sexual abuse and all kinds of things like that that have, have come out about them. And it has just really ruined a lot of people's faith, unfortunately. Personally, I was always somebody who was really, really uh, connected and focused on uh, apologetics, you know, like logical defending of Christianity. I used to read a lot of those apologetics books and listen to a lot of uh, famous apologists. And there's this one famous apologist you may have heard of, Ravi Zacharias, who was somebody that I really enjoyed. I used to watch um, a lot of his videos. I had read little bits of his books, and, and I loved the, the testimony that he had about um, how to defend the faith uh, against the world. And he passed away um, recently uh, due, due to cancer. And what was uh, so disheartening is that after he passed away, some stories started to come out about um, just some sexual misconduct in his life, some, some ways where he was um, really taking advantage of people uh, sexually. And uh, it, he never had to uh, come to terms with that. And the crazy thing is that um, after this this news came out, I just noticed there were a lot of people who had really, really looked up to him, and they uh, they just were struggling with their faith because there was not this consistency to his character. It felt like there were two sides of him. There was the the, the sacred Ravi Zacharias, the guy that was up on stage giving you all the cool arguments for how to defend Christianity. But then there was this other side of him, this this kind of secular side that was involved in all of these sexual misconduct and sexual misdeeds. And the biggest reason that I think Jesus wants us to go and be reconciled to our brothers before we go and uh, offer a gift at the altar to God is because it is very important to God that we be well thought of by everybody. If we're going to preach the good news of the gospel, then I think our character needs to be the kind that people would actually respect and that people would actually listen to. And so for all that, for, for that reason, I, this is, the, I think, the, the application Jesus is making is just very clear. You've got to uh, focus on your, your relationship with, with all human beings, with all people, with the oppressed, with your brothers, with the people who have had issues with you. You need to, to care about those relationships. And those aren't separate from your relationship with God. They, they are all together connected. But the last thing I want to really focus on with this verse is the fact that Jesus makes this really uh, clear point about uh, if your brother has something um, against you, specifically. Um, There's lots of interesting ways that this verse uh, can get applied. One of the ways that I I have loved is actually in that last song we played before um, I came up to to, to preach— it is a song that was written, an original song written by um, uh, Joseph Jenkins, our, our worship leader, about this verse in the Bible. It's really cool. We were talking about it, and he had been reading this verse, and he he uh, had written a whole song about it. Um, and I love that line where he was just talking about the grace of God, the forgiveness that he has given us, that the gift he has given us, that grace is is more than just an excuse to to keep on living the same way that we have, to keep on acting the same way. In fact, that, that grace is actually the, the thing that should lead us to be reconciled to our brother, and that's what he really focuses on in that song. 
And just kind of as a side point, something for you to be on the lookout for as we uh, uh, go forward here. Uh, that original song, along with several others that both of our worship leaders, uh, Joseph and Reagan, have been working on and writing, um, we're actually going to be putting a recording onto an album here soon. And the plan is to release that album on Easter, just here in a couple months. We're just a couple months away from Easter. And we're going to be le- releasing that album of original songs that they've written um, and we just want to, you know, put that out there so that the, those of you members of the church here at Wayfarers can can start to learn those songs because they're songs that we want to start incorporating regularly into our worship services here. So just kind of, you know, keep a pin in that. Keep your eye out on Easter. There's going to be a release. I think it's going to be really awesome, something that's really going to bless you, something that we're really excited about putting out, that album of original music written by um, our worship leaders. So definitely be on the lookout for that. Super excited. It's going to be really cool. One of the songs that will be featured on it is this Grace is More song, which focuses on this passage that we're talking about specifically. But the thing that really caught me whenever I was looking at it was that Jesus says that we need to um, be reconciled with our brother if, if they have something against us. <laughs> you see, a lot of times the way I see this passage applied is if like if, if, if um, our, our, our brothers have... Uh, sinned against us, if, so, if someone out there has done something to, to hurt you, then um, you, should, you should forgive them and, and before you come to God. You know, make sure that you have forgiven uh, that brother or sister. And that's, that's a really great application. That is a really important part. In fact, in a few weeks, we're going to get into a specific passage where Jesus focuses on that aspect, specifically on the importance of forgiveness, on how central it is. But what I noticed when I was studying this passage this week is that um, what, what Jesus is focusing on is whether someone has something against us. The implication is, have we done something to hurt somebody else? Are we the ones who are in the wrong somehow? Are we the ones who have hurt somebody that we care about, our brother or our sister? He wants us to really do that inward look into our hearts, into our actions, to really think about the people around us and try to decide, are we the ones who have messed up? Are we the ones who have hurt the people around us? And the thing about that that is <laughs> kind of difficult is that I just really think we rarely do, especially in church, I think we rarely take the time to do that 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 moment where we just kind of stop, where we kind of drop everything, where we just kind of ask ourselves, where are we the ones who have messed up? You see, last week I talked a lot about anger, and and this passage is a continuation of that anger passage. It all kind of goes together. And lots of times when we think about anger, we are angry at other people for the things that they have done to us. We are angry because things are uh, not just, not right. Things aren't right in the world. It's not fair. That's the thing we'll say lots of times when we're angry. But I think one of the best questions we can ask ourselves, one of the questions I try to constantly ask myself, is where have I been the one that has brought injustice and unfairness into the world? I think if Christians were to ask themselves that question specifically, if we were to ask ourselves, where are we the ones who have caused the injustice in the world? We would start to see some real change for the cause of Christ. It's unfortunate. There is a long history of Christians, people who claim Christ, but who themselves are the sources of injustice. 
And I think what Jesus is saying is if you're, if you're coming to offer a gift at the altar, if you're coming to this sacred, holy moment, and you are the one who has hurt somebody, you are the one who has caused pain, unfairness, or injustice to somebody else, then you need to take a second and pause and go and fix that. <laughs> go and reconcile with that brother. Go and reconcile that injustice. And then come back and offer your gift at the altar. I think if we start to do that, like I said, I think that the, 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 the change we'll be able to make for the cause of Christ will be hard to measure. I mentioned a few times in my sermons before that I used to, um, I used to play in like a, a screamo band, uh, hardcore metal, uh, you know, screaming music type of band. And that band was called Yet, Y-E-T. And what's funny is that that band name, Yet, is actually a, uh, a, a Switchfoot song name. Kind of bringing it full circle, I mentioned at the beginning that Switchfoot was one of those, those Christian bands that could kind of be an alternative to a secular band. Well, like I told you, I was, I was all in on Switchfoot. They were, and I would admit still are, my favorite band. I, I've, loved, I've seen them more times than I can count. I love a lot of their music, and they have this really awesome song called Yet, which is what we named the band after. But there was one other song that I was heavily considering for the name of the band. Um, and actually, before we came up with the name yet, we actually had this other song name as our song title, as our band uh, name. And it was a song written by the, the same lead singer of that band, Switchfoot. His name is John Foreman. But he has a kind of a solo project, just him and an acoustic guitar, where he sings some really um, intimate and interesting songs. And uh, on John Foreman's solo project, he has a song called uh, Instead of a Show. And that song, it's really interesting. If you, if you listen to the lyrics of it, if you, if you look at it, you can see that that passage in Isaiah that I read, this is, it pulls a lot of the lyrics directly from that passage in Isaiah. He pulls all the words straight from that Isaiah chapter 1. But then in the second verse, he does this really interesting thing where he applies it to us today. What would it look like if we really thought about what, what are we doing? How are we guilty of a lot of the same sins that these Israelites are guilty of? So I wanted to end today by giving us an opportunity to do that, to do that introspection, to think to ourselves, where are we the ones who have wronged other people? And so I want to play uh, the, the John Foreman song for you instead of a show where we originally got that first band name from. I want you to focus on the words, focus on, on what he says, on the ways he brings in that Isaiah passage, but then also the ways that he uh, connects it to some of the ways we can be guilty of the same sins today. But as that song is playing and as you're taking that time of reflection, I would ask you just to, to, to pray and ask God, who have I wronged in my life? Where am I possibly the source of unfairness, injustice, and pain for other people? And if God brings people to your mind, brothers that you need to be reconciled with, then I would encourage you, do what Jesus has asked you to do here. Take uh, this moment, take some time this week, go and be reconciled to those brothers and sisters. The things that that will do for the cause of Christ are almost, <laughs> are just immeasurable. So we're going to play this song, listen to the words, and as it, it plays, I would encourage you to also pray and ask God 
What is he asking you to do? Who is he asking you to be reconciled with? Let's play that song. of your praise the hypocrisy of your festivals I hate all your show away with your noisy worship away with your noisy hymns I stop up my ears when you're singing them I hate all your show instead let the Flood of justice, an endless procession of righteous living, living instead. Let there be a flood of justice instead of a show. Services, there's blood on your hands. You turned your back on the homeless and the ones that don't fit in your plan. Quit playing religion games, there's blood on your hands. Instead, let there be a flood of justice. An Procession of righteous living, living instead. Let there be a flood of justice instead of a show. I hate all your show. I'd argue this out if your sins are blood red. Show. I hate all 
笑。